Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Hello and welcome back to Coaching Inside the Box, episode 19, where we continue to eliminate prejudices in youth soccer. Uh, this is really kind of a part two to the last episode that we had. If you're wondering why we're doing a part two, it has everything to do with Andy's note cards. We didn't get through all Andy's note, card, note cards last time. He saved them. He's into recycling. He brought them back. We're going to dig in deeper in a few different areas about specific prejudice, prejudices in youth soccer. But before we go there... Um, we're going to do this a new bit. It's a new thing. We've not done this before, but it's kind of like the soccer version or soccer coach version of Laugh Factory. Andy's got a couple of zinger jokes he's going to share with just us. One. Oh, just one. Just one. Does it involve a towel? <laughs> <laughs> Notice I'm not answering that. <laughs> towel joke. I think we got to go back four episodes to get that reference for those of you frequent listeners. <laughs> All right. What's your joke, Andy? I'm, I'm eager. Uh, so uh, we're dealing with the um, the topic of of prejudice, and one of the greatest negatives in terms of prejudice is is parents. You know, they see more than anything else during a game their own precious little angel. You know, you know, and in many cases they're oblivious to to what's going on around you know their own kid because they just see their kid. Are you suggesting parents, soccer parents, don't have don't 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 ignore their bias toward their own kid. They don't realize it's there. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Okay. <laughs> I've not just suggested it. <laughs> do you want me to say it? Parents only see their own child. You know, a lot of parents do. Not everyone, obviously. You know, but uh, you have to be educated out of that. And hopefully, you know, at my you know old age, I've educated myself out of you know, any bias towards, you know, my kids or any but a tiny bit of bias towards my kids because we're all going to have some bias, right, yep. towards our own kids. Negative or positive? Yes. Depends on which kid for me. Yeah. So so here's the joke. Um, a friend of mine came up to me, to, you know, the other day and he said, would you slap a parent on your team for $25,000? And I said, on two conditions. One... I get to pick the parent, and two, you're going to have to give me three months to come up with the money. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not laughing because I still don't get the joke. You've told it to me like four times before we went on air. We spent five minutes you explaining the joke to me. I still didn't get it, and so I'm I'm hopeful the audience thought it was funny. I'll be very honest. I got it. Don't think it's funny. <laughs> I'm sorry, Andy, but I gotta be honest. Which just goes to show that you can coach this philosophy without being particularly intelligent. <laughs> it's for everybody. Everybody's welcome. We always talk about that. If you have to explain the joke, it misses the point. You know, the point is that would you slap a parent on your team for twenty five thousand dollars means they're gonna pay you the twenty five thousand dollars. So yeah, I'd do it just at twenty five thousand dollars. But I have such a problem with the parents on my team 
that you would pay for it. That I would pay for twenty five thousand. So this is the third time you've explained the joke for it, and now I kind of get it. We just got to reorganize how the punchline. Which reinforces gets. my point: you don't have to be intelligent to coach the legends philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> now, is the is the fault of the audience or whoever's telling the joke? Well, I think I think it's the fault of whoever telling the joke. They should know their audience, right? Yeah, exactly. We'll let the audience decide. You know, feedback, please. You know, is the joke just <laughs> terrible, or have we got some really dumb coaches? If the joke was good, next spot, Andy will start with another joke. Another joke. If the joke was not good, we can go straight. We'll to go to with business. Philippe's Philippe's jokes. That's no, not, I that's don't. not the way brave creative <laughs> leaders work. You know, they they stick their neck on the line time and again. You know, until they're good at something. You know, I'm not a comedian. Although people have leveled that accusation at me that I am a bit of a comedian <laughs> because of the legend's philosophy. You know. <laughs> I got that joke. Zing! That one was good. You need like 24 more to, to, to um, how do you say, like level up the bad one. Okay. <laughs> You've got to have broad shoulders to coach the legend's way and to tell bad jokes. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, so prejudice in soccer. like last episode I thought was actually a fantastic episode. I enjoyed listening to it back. Um, and today we're going to continue on on that front. Are we starting with parents? Is that the prejudice we're going to start with? Andy, you've got the, the, the note cards. So how do you want to where, – where should we start? So, you know, I, I had listed here as, uh, you know, we used to run our organization. Um, you know, it wasn't just a soccer club organization. We used to run the the boarded national indoor championship, you know, with you know, teams from uh, USA, Canada, Mexico, and you know, people. Some people literally driving thousands of miles to go to the final, or obviously flying. And uh, and and we had to deal with a situation. Um, we were in a an indoor facility running the finals in Detroit, Michigan, and about ten minutes into a game. Uh, a rival coach to one of the coaches that was playing in this this semi-final game, this you know this deciding game to decide whether his team or the coach that came to get me, whether his team would go through. You know, the coach of the uh, the other team that wasn't playing came to get me, and he said, "This is fixed." You know, and and so you know, I uh, I walked over to the field, and you know, the coach's name was Mike Lupinick, and the brothers are still involved in Vada. You know, great club, and you know, so so Mike came over and and, and got me, and uh, and and you know, so I went to the field and I watched the game, and one team was literally standing aside, letting the other team go and score goals. You know, and we had a rule that bonus points were given if you scored six goals, you know, nine goals, you'd get bonus points. And the team that, you know, one of the teams, the only one that had a chance to go to the finals, you know, needed all nine goals in order to get that bonus point. And that bonus point was desperately needed to go to the final. So I don't know what deal they had made with the other team, you know, that, that they were playing against who didn't stand a chance to go to the final. But it was dead obvious that the other team was standing aside and just letting them go down the field and scoring. And guess what? They literally stood aside until the ninth goal was scored. And then the game started? And then the game started. <laughs> That's you know, pretty good. You know, and the one team won, you know, like 12 to 4 or something, yeah. you know. And, uh, and so... Hold on, 12 to 4 is 8. Oh, It was just it total goals. To okay, yeah, yeah. got it. Yeah. I didn't need to be the goal differential. Okay, yeah. got it. See what I mean about Legends coaches not reading too bright. 
No, I mean, <laughs> what kind of rules are there? Bonus points, stylish points. The, the national indoor had the most unique rules, and they were fantastic. If you score, wait till I tell you the overtime rules. I mean, they were fantastic. Instead of in overtime, instead of continuing to play six v six, it became three v three full field. What? It was fantastic. <laughs> and and so, so can you imagine? Right, this is. I swear, it would be absolutely you know a, a, a you know just a fantastic spectacle if you had Brazil versus whoever. I totally you know, agree. Yeah. England, mm -hmm. and in overtime, you know, you went from eleven on eleven. All right, down to let's say eight v eight to start with, and then after five minutes and no result, you go down to six v six, and after another five minutes and no result, you go down to four versus four. We did that with our super clubs yep, national I championship. I remember in Tulsa playing six v six. Absolutely, yeah. you know, and we never went beyond ten minutes without getting a result. But it was a result that and we it, got playing soccer, and I, it's way better than PKs. And I remember right before the 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 overtime started, you said, "Guys, they're going to put out their horses, so we're going to put out our horses." And I can't remember who it was. I think it may have been Brandon Ohm goes, "Nay." <laughs> <laughs> when, when you call his name to go on the field, <laughs> he let out a name. <laughs> that was awesome. That was Brandon was hilarious. A great sense of humor. All right, humor. back to the cheating, the cheating Detroit story. Yeah. So, so, and what these guys hadn't done is they hadn't read the rules because I had actually anticipated. I didn't know what it was, but I had written into the rules a sportsmanship of the game clause. You know that. The point was that we didn't know what it could be. Mm -hmm. But if anything was decided by the committee, which was me, <laughs> to, to, to have broken the spirit of the laws, all right, then the team that broke the spirit of the laws would actually be disqualified. And you know, the team that deserved to be there would be you know, allowed to play in the final. Please tell me you waited until the game was over to tell them. Oh, I did, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. What so a so what a here's the thing. I got death threats. Whoa! Yeah. You know, the, the, all the parents the and parents. the coaches okay. surrounded the administration table, you know, and, you know, and I, I, I told the coach, that, I'm sorry, but, you know, here's the, here's the clause in the rules, you know, and I'm exercising my judgment here. You know, you stood aside and completely undermined the spirit of the game, you know, by ha having the other team win. You know, having the other team stand aside so you could win, sorry. You know, and, and I said, you know, we're not going to reward, you know, your team with a passage to the final, you know, because that's totally the wrong thing to do for your kids. You know, it just goes to show that you can cheat, you know, you can steal, you can lie, you know, and uh, as long as you do it craftily enough, you might get your rewards and you might be seen as a winner. I said, I'm sorry, guys, but you're not winners. You know, I might have actually said you're actually the biggest losers. You know, because you're destroying your kids' ethical, moral standpoint. Sooner or later, that might come back to you know haunt your family. You know, if you don't bring up good kids, you know, then down the road they might be fighting with with each other over the inheritance. You know, when you die or whatever it is, because they're just out for themselves, and it's totally the wrong thing to do for society. And as you can imagine, I got absolutely abused. <laughs> you know, and I got threatened physically, and I was like, hey, whoever throws the first punch. I'll own your house, and I'll probably beat you up as well. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad was a boxer, so you know I used to be fairly tasty with, with the fists. And, and so, so I wasn't at all afraid, even though I had these you know screaming thirty people in front of me. You know, I you know I I just said I'm sorry, guys. You know that's the way it is, and you not you don't advance to the final. Shouldn't have done it.
And and that's actually, I think, a really good story to share as we talk about prejudice that get in the way of access to the game for kids or kids maximizing their opportunity within the game. And I'm wondering if... I wouldn't say that it's uniquely American. Like I would expect the the desire to win <coughs> exists across most countries and most youth soccer cultures. But I do wonder if the way in which our culture presents itself with, you know, kids playing on these immaculate turf fields at age eight with three referees and tournament after tournament after tournament. I do think that's more unique in the United States compared to other cultures. And I wonder if that feeds this desire to win that parents have that creates more opportunity for those prejudice and that to, 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 to surface and get in the way of American youth player development? I don't think so. Really? I, I grew up with as much hunger to win in Britain as, as I've seen over here. Yeah. You know, I saw fights on the sidelines. You know, I saw fights on the field. I, you know, it, it, it's a game that is, is riven with, with, you know, prejudice, you know, and, and this prejudice towards your own kids or your own team. You look at the professional game. You know, the riot that just happened in Mexico, you know, in the Mexican League, you know, and for a while they thought people had died in it, you know, and this has happened, you know, like Hachel, the disaster that Liverpool that was involved in, you know, this has happened again and again, you know, where people have died mm -hmm. in, in riots and, you know, people lose it and show extreme prejudice, you know, when they're in the middle of this emotional competition and something, even if it hasn't really gone against them, they perceive it has, mm -hmm. you know, and... You know, and this, you know, an example being as a coach in the local community and uh, we played against his team on a regular basis and the guy appealed for every single thing. You know, if, if there was any suggestion of, of a foul, you know, either way, he would start shouting at the referee, come on, ref, that's about, you know, a foul yeah. to, to, you know, to my team. I coach against a coach like that every weekend, it seems. Right. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Why, you know, if obviously, you know, we're hoping there's parents listening, not just coaches. Why as a parent... Would you support a coach that is obviously lying to your players, mm -hmm. that is obviously teaching your players to lie, to cheat? Because, you know, when the inheritance is on the line and they're all dividing things up, you know, you're going to have a whole bunch of kids maybe if you've got four in the family that are going to be lying and cheating and trying to get a bigger slice of the pie. Mm -hmm. You know, it, to, to these people that are brought up this way, that's, that becomes bone deep, mm -hmm. you know, it, and, and we go the other way, you know, we're the ones that will say, no, that went out off of us, it's your throw in, you know, we're not going to take advantage of the penalty kick, uh, because we didn't think it was a foul, Yeah, and we're honorable, and we don't want to walk away from this field, you know, having won a game that we didn't really win. I mean, like sportsmanship, I think most parents would be quick to run to the to the microphone and say sportsmanship is so important. And that's one of the most important things that you can get from from playing organized sports. But many of those same parents and coaches are appealing every single decision. No, that was out on them. No, that's, out. that's our ball. No, that was a foul on him. And like, that's not sportsmanship. Like, like full stop. Um, that's a complete lack of character. Uh, sure. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I remember. Um, so I've shared my whiteboard a little bit on our social media lately because um, it's my newest gimmick to keep kids engaged. And so previous to the whiteboard, I could never remember to take it to the game. So I did highlight reel and I'm dating myself or I'm going back a few years. But my girls team who are now U15. I don't know when they're U8, U9, U10. And I was trying to instill with them a belief of of going for it. And who cares about making mistakes and max effort? 
it all the time. Um, I called out highlight reel. And so there was a few games specifically where I was trying to lift the girls up. And so I told them, guys, this can be a highlight reel game. Every time we sub, five minutes in, I'm going to announce to everybody with an earshot who was my highlight reel from that. And the highlight reel is defined by a player that is totally working to play with skill and effort and energy and enthusiasm and all those things. And so then my coaching point for the entire five minutes was, who's going to be on my highlight reel? I didn't say anything else. Maybe skill a couple times, but really just who's going to be on my highlight reel? And the girls' energy level went to the roof. The game carries on. I, I, it's a close game. And their parents are these parents that are just abusing the referee and appealing for every decision. And so I conveniently waited for a quiet moment. And then I'd been very loud this game. And I hollered across to the parents, specifically the big dad that was sitting in the chair that was the loudest. And I said, parents, 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 parents. Everybody has a job here. I'm going to coach. That coach, he's going to coach. The referee's going to referee. The players are going to play. And your role here is literally just to sit there and clap. <laughs> and like my parents started clapping like, thanks, put him in his place. And the dad goes, yeah, coach, but who's on the highlight reel? <laughs> <laughs> and I love that story. One, because it's hilarious and well played on that dad's part. The only thing he did right that game. But but two, I think, I, I think like if we want to talk to... I, I would have had to have responded. <laughs> Definitely not your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great answer for that. Oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Mean, he took it in a decent way, I guess. I uh, sure he yeah, didn't yeah. argue back with you or created any problem, you know. Sure, yeah, just yeah. But but we I mean we talk about these these problems that exist within youth sports and parents being a, a, a problem. What what are the solutions? Uh, I mean, education is is a big function. Do we have any other solutions specific? Oh, it, leaders in the sport have got to set the example and and uh you know the Recently in the NCAA Division One Championship, you know, there was a great example set by the KU players after, you know, their opponent yeah. turned the ankle. Yeah, yeah. He rolled his ankle, he instantly and everybody knew going in they had an ankle problem. Yep. So when he rolled his ankle, everybody was saying to themselves, you know, yeah, we were expecting this, you know. So so what happened was the KU team slowed down. They they didn't go on transition to score a basket, numbers up. They slowed down and waited for the referees to like call it, yeah. you know, so that he could get treatment. Here's what really frustrated me: the commentators were wondering why they didn't take advantage. He literally was saying, "I don't agree with that. They should have gone. They should have, you know, taken advantage of that opportunity. They should have gone for the deciding basket, and that would have been the deciding basket of the game of the of the and national championship." Yeah. Here's the thing, though: had they have done that. There would always have been the question, would they have won if they hadn't taken advantage of the in injury? That wasn't the reason they did it, but that, you know, the, the win would have been tainted by the fact they took advantage of the opponent's injury. And as it happened, the win was actually elevated to a different level because they stopped the game and they allowed this guy to get treatment, allowed the other team to get a sub in, you know, and then they won it fairly and squarely. And my hat is off to those players and Bill Self if that's what he's asking the players to do. You know, and I don't know the guy personally, so, but it was a fantastic example of how we should treat this game. You know, like when our teams get a penalty kick and it wasn't a good call by the referee, you know, we roll the ball slowly to the side of the goal, no chance of scoring, so the keeper can walk up there or crawl over there you know, and pick the ball up. Because we don't want to win... Mm -hmm. If we haven't deserved to win, mm -hmm. you know, if the referee made a terrible call and gave us a free shot on goal, we don't want to win that way. We want to win in a battle of equals, you know, because we deserve to. 
Does that make sense? Oh, totally. But we talk about parents, right? From from us as coaches, like all of us have had moments where we're trying to talk one of our parents down off the ledge, right? Or we're trying to educate them on 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 where their priorities should be for their own child from a long term developmental perspective. And and the term I often use is, and I used to use it with uh, um, one of the coaches in the club whose son used to play for me. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Like relax, relax, just. Just enjoy the ride. There are going to be ebbs. Just the process. Yeah, there's going to be ebbs and there's going to be flows. And if there aren't, it's not right. It's not artificial. It's not going to just go on this massive arc upward. We are going to lose. In fact, we need to lose. We are going to face adversity. In fact, we need to face adversity. Right. Bad referee calls are necessary if you want your son to develop the character and the ability to play at the highest level. And so, like, like applaud them. Right? Like, we need those moments. And, uh, and, 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 specifically for you guys, are there any stories or moments or conversations you remember having with parents? Well, let's, 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 uh, you know, cause I know what happened in England when I was growing up and it was just as bad, you know, and Philippe, I don't know anything about this aspect of Brazilian soccer. You play the most beautiful game in the world. Yes, you know, do. You know, is, is it different in Brazil because you guys have got a more creative approach and you play the beautiful game? And we dive to get PKs and we dive. <laughs> and we, no, it's, it, it's true. Even though, you know, we play the beautiful game and all that kind of stuff, that's what it's in our culture. And it's actually celebrated. So when in 1962, um, Newton Santos in the World Cup semifinal. How old were you in 62? Uh, I'm impressed by your memory. No, I, I wasn't born, but there's something called YouTube. Okay, all right. And, you know, and internet. But anyway, so he, he trips he, the guy inside the box. He was a gleam in his father's eye. Uh, he, he trips the guy inside the box, and then he walk, take two steps out of the box, and then the AR goes and, and signs like it was outside of the box. And I think it was Chile that we were playing. I don't remember. My memory's not that great. But we would have, you know, it would be a tie game or whatever. And that was a deciding factor for us advancing to the final and um, winning the World Cup. And that clip is showed m as often as the goals of the final. And, you know, and so it's not so it that off. example. It paid yeah, off. It's not that example. You watch any Pelé movie, you're going to see the play that he elbows a guy in the face and dives and put his hand on his <laughs> face and the guy gets a yellow. But did it you pay know? off? Because right now, I don't like Brazil as much as I liked Brazil before. Aren't you told me that story? Yeah. You know, right now, I'm thinking they didn't deserve to win in 62 in Chile. Uh, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess it depends. Like, are, are you oh, you, did you know that Garincha got a red card in the semifinal and he played the final? In another number? <laughs> no, he, they just they didn't have appealed. The rules in those days. Uh, no, they did, but oh, they, okay. ju they just appealed and it's like, Come on, he's the best player of the world, you know. He he has to play. <laughs> he, he's well, he, he's, wrong, he's the biggest star of the show. <laughs> and and <laughs> Pelé was injured. He was the biggest star of the yeah. show. And they were like, okay, back in those days, right, they bended the rule, you know. So, so here's the other side of that coin. I was playing for Oxford City, and we were in a relegation battle, and we had the last game of the season, and I was marking a guy called Chris Kelly. He was known as the Leatherhead Lip, and this is one step below the Football League in England. And, you know, he broke past me with a ball and I was chasing him and I got hold of his shirt about 10 yards outside of the penalty area, you know, and I would have stuck a saddle on him, ridden him into the dirt if I could, you know, and I held onto his shirt and somehow he dragged me and dragged me and dragged me until he got to the penalty area and then he fell down. <laughs> 
and they scored the penalty kick and we got relegated. Now, on that one, <laughs> honestly, it was a foul, so I agree with him. He just kept going, kept going, kept going. Oh, I shouldn't have done it. Anymore. I shouldn't have done it. Yeah. And maybe if I hadn't have done it, you know, the odds would have been less. You know, yeah. he was under pressure. I was breathing down his neck. The keeper could have come out and blocked him, you know, and the odds would have been better if I hadn't grabbed his shirt. But I thought I could get him down and foul him mm -hmm. before he got to the penalty area, before he got to scoring distance. Which... Boy, was I wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, Andrew, you brought a very good point, and I think that educating the parents and, and you know, making sure your parents know you know, your expectations and the whys, you know, those are good traits and how important the referee back calls are and all these things that are annoying. Obviously, when they happen, nobody likes, but it's definitely part of the process. Life is not always fair, right? We have to know how to handle when things don't go our way, when they should go our way, right? So kids need to learn because they're gonna face these moments in life. So it, it, it's, it's definitely part of the process. And I think most coaches, you know, especially if that kids, the parent's kid is like the best player on the team. And they're like, oh, I don't wanna upset this parent, you know, because I don't wanna lose this kid, you know. So, really my team. so I think coaches need to be less worried about, am I gonna upset this parent and then lose this player and my team is not gonna be that good? That whole concept, the winning is not the most important. If you have to sacrifice that kid leaving your team for you to actually try to do the best thing for that kid, okay? Now, if they leave, it's the parent's fault, it's not yours, you, do, you did what you're supposed to do. But I think coaches need to, you know, understand that and really not be afraid to speak up and address those issues so it doesn't become a thing on the team a trade of the team. So, so, you know, I actually wrote something down here that I wanted to actually read out, uh, and, and it goes like this. It's the conundrum every parent faces. How do you make your kids tough, and every coach, by the way, how do you make your kids tough, competitive, compassionate, creative, fair, etc.? By showing them that you are not prejudiced, by setting the example. Prejudice undermines hundreds and thousands of opportunities for kids in this society and for the human race as a whole. At the Legends Soccer Club, we are inserting ourselves into the gap between the problem and the solution. That's the purpose of this podcast. We don't just whinge and complain about the problem without doing something about it. We are offering tried and tested moments and methods for making the youth soccer experience much more fun, much more developmental, much more fulfilling and infinitely fairer. So give me an example of, 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 of something that we do that maybe tradition doesn't, um, that makes the game more fair, that, that, that helps us along that mission. Well, you know, we've already dealt with a couple of examples. The other coach that was just, you know, running down the, you know, the referee and, and asking for decisions. You know, the penalty kicks that we will not accept, even though they've been awarded to us. You know, and the first time I ever did it, this was the deciding penalty kick. It could have been in the game. You know, and, you know, I turned the opportunity to win down <coughs> in a cup final against our big rivals here in town, you know, and we were the up and coming club. This is like 1989, 1990, you know, and uh, and the opposition, one of the opposition parents wrote to the Sun newspapers. I've read the article. Yeah. You know, I've still got the article. Yeah. You know, and, you know, Steve uh, Rose, the editor of the Sun newspapers, 
uh, wrote this lovely piece about you know the kick heard around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, but Linda Warm, the parent, and funnily enough, her grandkid is now in the Legends Club. You know, and I'm sure that that's always stayed with her, and that's one of the reasons why her grandkid is here. You know, he's a lovely girl, great player. You know, and um, it's because of what we did back there, because they value the life lessons as much as they value any soccer ability. Mm-hmm. You know, and isn't that the way it should be? In fact, shouldn't it be, it be more about the life lessons than soccer ability? You know, they go hand in hand. I'm not saying you have to give up one for the other. You know, they go hand in hand. We didn't lose, you know, anything by giving away. Even if we'd lost the game, we didn't lose anything by giving away that opportunity to take advantage of a bad referee call. We gained something, you know, and we went on and we won the game, which is neither here nor there, you know, but we did the right thing. Mm-hmm. So we do it with honor and everybody going home could look in the mirror and say, yeah, you deserved it mm-hmm. rather than look in the mirror and say, you're a cheat. You know, you could have done something different and better and you chose to go the other way. You know, and I think that's one of the big problems facing society. There's too many people out there that will take advantage of people that don't speak up, that don't set the example, you know, that aren't competitively fair, but also competitively ferocious, if you like. You know, you can be fair as well as be intense and aggressive, you know, and, you know, our approach fixes all those problems. Yeah. And coming back to it, I'll say it a few times, is it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Like if, if we're focused on the end result, whatever that result might be, whether it's the game or our kid playing at a certain style or level or ability in that moment, if we're focused on that, we're shortchanging the long-term development and and so you know we've got to we've got to put our kids in adversity we've got to encourage it um and 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 by being put in adversity they're going to fail they're going to mess up they're going to make mistakes <clears throat> or life is just going to kick them in the teeth and there was nothing they could do about it and that's part of the process and i, I have a, 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 a very good player maybe the best player I've ever coached uh, that plays for me right now and he's, he's um uh very emotional um very competitive hates to lose um, and him and I've had numerous conversations like, like, look, like you've got to experience, like it ha- you got to get kicked in the teeth. The referee has to make bad calls. You have to make mistakes. You have to lose if you're going to play in a world cup someday, you can't just go through unscathed and like he gets it, but it's still tough for a kid to, 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 yeah. to work through. Oh, for sure. And it's all about channeling that energy. You don't want to take the passion no. away from him yeah, and the hard. competitiveness, yeah. but it's, you know, channeling the right direction, you know, when he, when that happens, he gets angry and that motivates him to get the ball and beat somebody, you know, and really go for it. Cause like now he needs to make it happen. You know, I think that's, that's a good way to do it. It's just, it's tough. And, and, and that's the main thing. It's not easy. It's not easy, but the tough things are what builds and molds the kids' characters. And, and here's the really nice thing. We've got the best sport for doing it with. So that, that's where I was going to – I think you're segueing where I wanted to go next, which was talking about the difference it, from our sport to other sports in terms of limiting the prejudices that exist from a physical perspective. I love basketball. I'm five foot nine. I was never going to be a basketball player. Right. So – so most people, you know, that the, are of any, you know, adult standing at all, uh, you know, know the name Manute Ball. And um, Manute, uh, before I met my, my wife, and uh, his wife were great friends with my wife. 
And Manute was seven foot seven inches tall, grew up in South Sudan in Africa. He was actually a king in South Sudan. In a, um, Something him and I have in common. <laughs> oh, God. Were you born in South Sudan, too? You know, the, the, nope, because you're definitely not a king. Nope, I was just a king. The, the height of delusion has just been illustrated to our audience here. <laughs> have you ever seen the movie The Air Up There? The what? I went under the knife treatment in The Air Up There. Look it in up. the movie. That's no, a good movie. Kevin Bacon. That was less, less relevant than my joke. <laughs> There's somebody <laughs> listening who's like, oh, yeah, I remember when they did that with the knife to Kevin Bacon. <laughs> but, but, you know, Manute was seven foot seven, and he was a stick insect. You know, I mean, he was amazingly tall, but the game of basketball meant that, you know, in defense, he could just post up underneath the basket, you know, and, you know, he could catch every shot on the way up and block it. You know, because the guy was just massively tall. And of course, you know, seven foot seven means his arms, you know, are, are 30 feet long as well. You know, and so it wasn't just his overall height. It's the, the length of his arms as well. You know, and so the, the fact wasn't, you know, he wasn't a great athlete. athlete. You know, he was, he was one of these people that was there only because of prejudice towards big people. You know, if that makes sense. You know, and that's kind of, we, we watched his son, Bol Bol. You know, they use first names and last names and, you know, interchangeably. And, you know, and so it's Bol Bol and not Manute Bol. It's, and we watched him get the advantage of being, you know, really tall. Now he's seven foot one. He's not seven foot seven, but, you know, so he's small. I looked it up. Seven foot two, actually. Seven foot two? According to Wikipedia. Okay. Yeah, they always exaggerate. You know. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably grown since I last saw him. And he comes around the house. You know, and, you know, he, he, you know, he stoops down, you know, bends at the waist and stoops down. We've got a hobbit home when he comes around. <laughs> <laughs> he has to, you know, literally stoop to get in the door, you know. And, uh, and so, it's, you know, it's kind of intriguing, you know, and the whole family is super tall. You know, the, all the kids, you know, treat our home like a second home. And I walk through the door and, you know, these kids are just lying around eating our candy and whatever, you know. And, you know, but it's amazing that they had all this opportunity purely because of, you know, a prejudice towards big players on the part of coaches. You know, they want their, their job made easier, you know, and if, you know, there's a great point guard on the other team that is good at driving to the basket, you know, and, you know, and, and dunking, well, Manute's there to drive before it goes in the basket to, to make an interjection, you know, and so, and, and that's really kind of an advantage of soccer is that, you know, you can be tall and you're great in the air and you win a lot of headers or, you know, like Virgil van Dijk or you can be short like Leo Messi, you know, Diego Maradona, Mia Hamm on the female side, you know, and, you know, you can be a, just a spitfire with a ball at your feet and, you know, score all sorts of goals, you know, and you can be slow and in the midfield speed is not as important and, you know, you can be very skillful and slow with great vision and you can compensate because the game is so diverse, more diverse than any other team sport by far. And the diversity, I think, lessens the prejudice and makes it accessible at a high level to a way greater number of players. And even within positions in soccer, there's a little bit of prejudice. But again, because you have so many other options, everybody can have a role. So the seven foot tall, probably going to become a goalkeeper, a center back, maybe a target forward, you know, because yes, those genetic characteristics will help if the guy's lightning fast he's might, might be a winger he might be an outside back right you know but everybody has a place uh, as you said center mids andrea pirlo slow really slow 
I mean, kind of like phenomenal. Kind of phenomenal like, player. Kind of like the executive director of our club, Kyle Hogue, mm-hmm. right? He's slow with a big butt, but he can still play. And he played D1 because when he got the ball, you couldn't get it from him, you know, and he'd pretzel you with a move. And he wouldn't blow by you because he didn't have that explosive speed, but he'd lay an absolutely beautiful ball in for the fast forward to get in behind the defense and score. Or miss if it was in my case. Right? <laughs> but there's I have really, to... I have there's to sh- really no awe involved <laughs> in <laughs> I have to share the story of Kyle being slow and big butt. Remember, we were at the coaches' convention probably seven or eight years ago. We ran into Sean Holmes, right. and we were at the convention. We were oh, chatting. Yeah. To, we were chatting to Sean. Sean Holmes, who now I think coaches at St. Cloud State, he started a D two program in Minnesota, but had coached at Drake for a long time. And Sean was talking about the time he came and recruited me and watched me play in a high school game. And he goes, "There was another guy on your team, on your high school team from your club team." And I was like, I don't know, you know, Ryan McInerney. No, that one did. Uh, Kyle Hogue. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure I remember his name. I just remember he's blonde and he was slow and he kind of had a big butt. <laughs> and it was that. that was Kyle Hogue. I so. remember that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I could not stop laughing. Uh, I couldn't wait I to. I couldn't wait to call Kyle afterward and tell uh, him. I came unglued when he said that. <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah, uh, you know, but that, that illustrates what we're talking about. You know, the, the prejudice that people show, yeah. you know, that's stuck in Sean's mind. And I, I, I bet it had him questioning whether to recruit Kyle or not. Yeah, it must have, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. you know, Kyle didn't end up at Drake. And I'm pretty sure that Drake would have looked like a better option than, you know, than where you and him, you know, ended up in. It certainly would have. In Springfield, Missouri. Um, uh, <laughs> but, but talking about, like, the, the, the size or the speed of players and how it impacts the way that they're coached. Um, Jason Cole was, I think, maybe fair to say one of the most athletic players you ever coached. And did that present specific challenges to you as a coach in terms of how to uh, maximize his his potential? I don't think there's any doubt that he was the most athletic player I ever coached. Yeah. He had a 0-60 to that was just unreal. But the problem was that he had always been used for that speed. Because you got him late. I got him when he was under 14. Yeah. And every team that he had played for, you know, uh, had neglected to force him to conquer the moves, you know, and, you know, and his, his go-to was a topo because he'd not really been taught great technique from shooting. And, you know, and it was, it was almost funny because I pulled the whole team to the side, as, you know, when Jason came on board and I said, guys, we all know Jason. And he's done a lot of damage against us in terms of scoring goals in the past. You know, but it always, you know, mostly it had been route one, put the ball over the top. Jason beats, you know, our fastest defender by five yards and toe pokes the ball in the net, you know, and so. So beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) I have, I I have nightmares. I have, I don't know. I don't, I just just can't do that. So when he joined me, I pulled the whole team together and the parents. And I said, guys, I said, you've had the benefit of being trained for Legends Way, some of you, since you were eight years of age. I said, so here's what I'm going to do with Jason. We don't have time to, you know, give him just a piece of, the, of what we do, you know, and hope that he's going to be a brilliant dribbler and goal scorer in the legends mode with moves and, you know, with accuracy on, on a, you know, an absolutely great power shot hit with the laces, you know, and everything's technically perfect. So with Jason, I'm not letting him pass. And there was silence. I said, yeah, literally, this is how we're going to make him catch up is probably for the next 12 months, his job is to dribble the whole team. 
and score. <laughs> but he's got to do it with skill. He's got to do it with moves. Yeah. You know, and he's not allowed to toe poke the ball into the net when he gets there. Yeah. You know, he's got to hit the ball with his laces. So he's got a choice to make. Either he's going to be absolutely brilliant with the moves and with hitting, you know, bending shots with the inside of the foot, the outside of the foot, with the laces. You know, and I said, but, you know, that's what my job is to get him to do. And so, and, you know, they were lovely parents and, you know, and they were totally supportive for Jason's sake, you know, and so, and the team didn't hold back from giving Jason a pass, you know, that, you know, he got passes straight away and continued to just dribble like a fool. It was kind of nice they could pass it to him and then rest because they knew he wasn't <laughs> going to give it back. And it happened, <laughs> you know, but, you know, but we had to play catch up and Jason went on and played for St. Louis University D1. A, a Herman Trophy winner or finalist? One of the two. Yeah, one of the two. Yeah. And then he went on and he played in, in, MLS. in MLS for, yeah. for the Rapids, you know, and it, it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't, you know, told him, you're not going to do any of that crap you've been doing at other clubs here. You know, you've got to optimize your own ability here. And, and we had the total backing of his parents. You know, I chatted to them before that, and I said, how do you think he'll take it? And, and he was great. In fact, he's one of our franchisees now. Jason, wonderful guy. Yeah, he's just a great guy. And, and, you know, and he took the bit between his teeth you know, and you know, was working out before he got the ball how he was going to score this goal because yeah. you know, he couldn't pass it. But, but he's and, a perfect example of oftentimes people are like, man, if only my kid was like exceptional athletically, like what kind of soccer player could be? And like you and I think good coaches sometimes see that and go, that's actually a challenge. Mm -hmm. We can't use it if we're going to maximize his potential. If R9, if Ronaldo had just used his athleticism, he wouldn't have sniffed a professional field. Right. But because he learned to play and was athletic. Right. Best player for me ever in a small window, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, had he had a full career like Cristiano or, or Leo, who knows? He may he probably would have been the best oh, player ever. I, I honestly don't have much doubts on that because he was unbelievable. But yeah, it's I we've all had these players. I had a few years ago one kid that came to to our team and he was lightning fast and strong, stocky for his for his age. No, even if the kids try to foul him, he wouldn't fall. So my boys, when they start going 11-11, they started seeing, oh, my God, if we play him over the top, nobody will stop. And then my boys, smart, starting to do it. But then they start overdoing it. And I'm like, I it would work. And I would kept telling them to not do it, not do it, not do it, not do it. So you I moved him to center back? So I moved him to center <laughs> So it was funny. That... That's actually the funny side of the story. I moved him to outside back, and it was so funny. He would get the ball, and he would just run the whole field and, like, not get back at, and not get back at all. Um, just run the whole field. <laughs> but it's, he would lose the ball all the time, and everybody started yelling at him to get back. So then he started, you know, adjusting his game because I forbid the, the boys to play him the ball. Mm -hmm. I forbid. You cannot play him over the top. It's just... It's a through ball that you actually see, fine. Cannot play him over the top. It was a rule for my team. I would have won every single game if we could play him because nobody could stop that kid yeah. so fast. And in Andy's point, the uh, Jason that he coached, if Jason doesn't make that transition to learn the skill and ball control and dribbling and not just run, 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 and toe poke, probably doesn't make to the MLS because at ages – you know, younger ages, the athleticism, the massive, 
massive athleticism it's a huge advantage it's also in the older game in the professional game but because the defenders are more mature or smarter they can adjust so you won't be able to to do it that easy so if you don't develop those characteristics yes you are a great player until you 14 15 after that they they figured out how to defend you and now you don't have any tools to to get out of those situations so so here's a, here's another example of how physiology is linked to bias and uh, I had a player on Jason's team, the 7980 team, uh, that, that uh, came to me through a soccer camp I was running, you know, when he was maybe 10, 11 years of age. And after the camp was over, I'd spotted the potential he had, and I went to talk to his dad, and I said, you know, is he playing any premier soccer? And the dad was like, no, he just has been playing recreationally up to now. And I said, he's got great potential. You know, I think that you should look at playing Premier Soccer. And he said he's going to be a gymnast. You know, and this was, you know, um, a lack of knowledge on part of the dad. And I looked the dad in the eye and I said, you know, tell me how tall he's predicted to be when he's mature. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the dad was like, well, I think he's going to be six one, six two. And he was over my house last week. You know, and uh, he's definitely six one or six two, and he's built like a brick outhouse. You know, and <laughs> the and and I looked at the dad and I said, you're not going to like me for this. You know, but you know, I studied gymnastics in phys ed school. It's not happening. And his levers are too long. Yeah, he yeah, won't yeah, be able to rotate. He won't be able to do you know a, a you know a double somersault properly. You know, which is essential at that level. If you're going to you know get a college scholarship, you know it, you know it's the opposite to soccer, where you're looking for the big, fast, strong. You know, in gymnastics, you're looking for a certain, you know, smaller stature, size, smaller stature, yeah. yeah, that you know can rotate quickly, mm -hmm. you know, and of course the ability to do it, you know, and uh, and so that was enough for the dad to go study it, and within a couple of weeks he was a player for the legends, you know, and he got a Division One, you know, full ride as far as I know to Eastern Illinois University, you know, as what a was result. his name Ben York. Oh yeah, 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 okay, yeah. and uh, and so. Uh, um, you know, it just shows how our prejudices, if we're not really intelligent or well-read, can work against us. You know, and in most instances, to be prejudiced is actually to be less intelligent, less educated, you know, because those, those hopefully I can say those of us that don't carry much prejudice, um, you know, and, and do it legitimately, um, we don't see, you know, the obstacle, we see the opportunity. You know, whereas people that are prejudiced see the obstacle, you know, and miss the opportunity because of their prejudices. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, um, uh, David and Goliath, I think, leans into that quite a bit, where he points out oftentimes that, like, David actually wasn't the underdog. He, he, he had the advantage. But you're looking at this whole problem the wrong way. Um, and, and as coaches, I think, I mean, youth coaches specifically, we shouldn't be thinking team. We should be thinking individually. And if we're thinking individually, like we can dig in and spend, spend extra time thinking about every specific player on our roster and identifying the parts of them physically or mentally or emotionally um, or from a maturity perspective and, and figuring out, okay, how can I, if I'm focused on a long term, if I'm focused on the marathon, what, what lever should I be pulling now? What things should I should be doing now to get them to the closest possible point, the highest point of, of their potential? And so often we as coaches, we're so short-term focused. We're so focused on getting served that fast food burger right away that we're, 
that we're missing out on the potential long-term quality. My brother uses a term often. I'll actually look up and share it on our socials. He's written quite a bit about it. He's way better writer than I am, but my brother talks about Machiavellian meritocracy and like, like our issues are as a society is that, that, that there's so much inherent bias and prejudice and privilege that we don't actually go out and earn anything, but, but we think the ends justify the mean always to win and win now, um, whether it's a sport or not. And, and that's a large part of the, our society or our culture's problem. It's perverse, isn't it? Yeah. So I've got one for you. Switching tracks a little bit. Gender, female versus male. You know, why don't you talk a little bit about that in Brazil? I know he prefers um, female. What? <laughs> I mean... I'm married to a woman, so... Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an observant guy. I, I pay attention. Um, I mean, again, we talk, We had a whole podcast about that. And, you know, Brazil, until the 70s, I believe, like, soccer was even forbidden for women. It was a lot. There was a forbidden. lot. Yeah, there was a lot. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 the gender is probably the... It might be the most prejudice of all um that people had people have in sports i mean there are so many we could we could spend five episodes trying to think of prejudices uh in sports and soccer um, i mean it's in, in the whole world actually so you know I, I lived out in the country to the south of kansas city and i coached my daughters in a in, a t in lewisburg in a, a rec league you know for a while you know which was you know great experience for me because i'd only ever coached premier you know and the the interesting thing was that uh, there was Lewisburg, which was I don't know two thousand twenty five hundred people, and then there was Paola, which is the uh, the the you know the the city seat, you know, and that had five thousand people. And you know, my girls played soccer in Lewisburg, and they went to school in Paola. And Paola uh, has a boys' team, and it's been there now for a couple of decades almost. And you know, and so no question that the boys were, you know should be allowed to play soccer. They've never had a girls' team. Still. 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 And they're about equidistant. Paola's a few miles further, maybe two or three or four, as the crow flies, from Lewisburg, from Kansas City, from the metro area. But they still don't have a girls' soccer team. And yet they spend an absolute fortune on, you know, boys' football out there is a religion. You know, and so the inequity in terms of the money spent, the roster is huge. And they're a powerhouse, you know, for small town. For I think they're 4A. And they're a powerhouse. And the, the family that the football coach, you know, is involved is great friends of mine, you know, and, and my daughters, you know. And so, you know, this isn't a knock on the family because he's a great coach and he's done amazingly well, you know, in, in his role. But it's completely unfair to girls who would like to play soccer and deserve that opportunity, you know, in the high school environment. The only reason that Lewisburg, you know, in my opinion, got soccer at least as early as they did, which was... I don't know, six years ago, seven years ago now, was because I'd coached all of those kids since they were six, seven, eight years of age. And the families of those kids, you know, there was an uprising and, you know, a massive movement to, you know, fundraise to get, you know, to literally take away any reason why Lewisburg wouldn't do it because it wasn't going to cost the school anything to have girls soccer in the high school. And since then, they've been a 4A powerhouse. You know, and, you know, it's set in stone now and they're being funded now, you know, as a, as a soccer team by, by the educational system. Mm -hmm. But the tremendous bias. Well, just if we go away so uh, from soccer, 
is there a softball boys team in yeah, high baseball, school? Baseball. Do you have a softball boys team? Do you have in college? Do you have a baseball girls team in college? Do you have an American football girls team? Actually, in it's starting to come up. Uh, American football, flag football in colleges. Uh, Maya Plutz plays for the St. Mary's. Okay. Lady Spires. But up until now, we Spires. I shouldn't yeah. say ladies. But me. up until now, there was Maya's tough as old boots. <laughs> she is. Yeah. And she could play real football. <laughs> yeah, she could <laughs> flam people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so uh, you know we've got a few minutes left, and I want to make sure we cover many of the prejudices that we had planned. Uh, prejudices. Got seven pages here. Yeah, I know, I know. We're gonna do a third episode. Um, That's what I said. We could do this forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, one that I I maybe passionate about. I mean, my degree is is secondary education. I was a high school teacher um, uh, earlier in my in my career, and and is the different learning styles of different learning methods that uh, approach. And, 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 you know, I've, I've had kids on the autism spectrum. I've had kids with behavioral disorders. I've had kids with all types of learning challenges um, uh, approach my field. And I think that those kids oftentimes don't get access to the sport in, 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 in a way that they, they should unless they're exceptional. And then the coaches move heaven and earth to keep them involved. And I think that the approach that we take that takes a very individualized approach to teaching the game actually breaks down many of those barriers, many of those prejudices, and, and allows every player on the team, regardless of their, um, their learning method or learning style, um, the opportunity to, to succeed. Um, and the opportunity to, to gain access to the sport. Andy, was that something that you started out initially intentionally doing when setting out in this curriculum and, and, and this philosophy and this methodology that we use? Or was that just a pleasant byproduct? It wasn't an intentional thought process. Well, one of the you know great experiences of my life was being coached, uh, lectured actually in phys ed school by a lady called Dillis Price, who was um, our special ed uh, you know lecturer. And... The first lecture we had, Dillis threw a bucket of cold water at all of us, you know, because here we are, young, fit, you know, phys ed students, you know, male, female, international athletes, you know, British collegiate players, uh, you know, just a whole bunch of people that were really accomplished, which was part of the reason we were there, because it was felt that, you know, if you were going to teach phys ed, you had to be a good example, you know, for what you were teaching. And, uh, and so uh, Dillis, you know, walked into the room and said... I'm going to start with this thought. She said, if you live long enough, and that's a bucket of cold water straight away, right? If you live long enough, every one of you will be disabled. And, you know, when you're, you know, in the late teens, I was in my early 20s because I went to college later. If, if you're that age, you know, and, you know, you're fit, you're fast, and, you know, you're full of ego and... You know, that was a bucket of cold water. Yeah. I sat there stunned. I had never thought that, you know, should I be lucky enough to make it into my my 80s, I thought at the time, that I would actually be disabled. That's just around you know, the corner now. And, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, I'm the subject of a Beatles song because the other day I turned 64. When I'm 64, that the Beatles sang, will you still need me? Will you still feed me? I'm there, right? I'm that old guy. And... I can't do a ton of things that I did when I was 20, when I was in phys ed school. Tons and tons and tons of things are way beyond me now that I used to think were relatively easy. And luckily for the rest of your family, you can still feed yourself and dress yourself. Not for much longer. For but now. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> yeah. So, so you know, Dillis threw this bucket of cold water over everybody in the room because I don't think anybody had even thought about life that way. Yeah. You know, and here we are confronting the crystal ball, the future, and knowing that we need, you know, a lot of empathy when we're older. And here's the thing. We don't give a lot of old folks the empathy they, they deserve. You know, I, I, my Uncle Lloyd uh, was committed to hospital, and one of the nurses that was handling her, you know, she probably had an excuse, probably a long day, and, you know, and she was a little bit short-tempered, you know, and to the point of being almost rude. You know, and so, you know, I sidled out with her into the corridor, and I said, hey, you know, he was an airline pilot in World War II. You know, this is a guy that's probably seen more you know, frightening situations and handled them than you or I will ever see, you know. And so, you know, you probably should maybe give him a little bit more respect, you know. And I didn't want to make her feel bad, but, you know, she, and she'd probably had a long day and, you know, and my wife's a nurse and it's a frighteningly um, negative field, you know, when you're dealing with people that, that are upset and, and emotional and, you know, and think they might die, you know, the, the nurses come under a lot of pressure, you know, and, you know, roundly abused by some people that they're desperately trying to help, you know, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this is common to nursing. I've got the greatest respect for people in the medical uh, profession, but this is what bias and prejudice does to us. You know, we see a lot of times only what's in front of us and how that's going to impact us. We don't see the big picture. You know, and the fact that we're more similar than we are different. And we would like different treatment if the boot was on the other foot. Mm. Does that make sense? Yep. Anything you can think of for Brazil? I mean, I, I think all these things are international. I think they happen all over, all over Good the point. world in yeah. every country. I think it's a human nature thing. I think we are selfish by nature. And we got to look inside ourselves and try to work through it and try to control it. It's, it's the nature. You, you love your daughter or your son more than the other kids if you're coaching your own son, for example, or if you're watching your own son play. So you'll tend to, and it can be on either side. You can be too hard on your son because you want your son to succeed and whatever, you know. So there are many parents that are incredibly hard with their sons or daughters and they're not with the other kids mm -hmm. in that case of coaching or whatever and i mean sometimes inside the same family you know you have the one the one sibling is very very good the other one is not that much and all that attention goes to that that one kid or in your case if it's a boy and a girl i've had many families that it was funny i would coach the boy and the girl and like if the boy needed anything, yeah, everything. I've had that before. If the girl needed, uh, whatever, sure. you know, you yeah, know, I, they I, dis they decide everything based on on the boy because it's soccer, you know. So it happens, and it's. I I you know uh, you know in in another marriage, had a family that was incredibly prejudiced against soccer, you know, and you know would literally come to watch, you know, my five daughters play anything else or, you know, in a music concert, you know, and never, not once, you know, during the whole time that I was married, it's 25 years that we were together, not once did they come and watch a soccer game. You know, there's an example, a horrific example of, of prejudice, you know, and unfortunately, it's majorly impacted their relationship with my kids, 
you know, and, and so, you know, th there's a price to pay for our prejudice. And that price to pay is not positive. But the thing is, is that coming back to what he said, selfish by nature, I think that's how we are. And I think off too often society wise, maybe it's a maybe it's a nature thing. Maybe it's too much on survival. But we're focused too much on the now and don't think long term. Um, and as a result, parents and coaches, we we ignore opportunity and possibilities for certain kids because it doesn't help the now. And we're selfish and want to win. Being right. 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 And, and so I'm going to kick this one over to Philippe. Um, societal prejudices. You know, I come from England, you know, and, and I'm going to put my hand up. We're kind of like Iceland, but we're bigger. So we've done better at the game than Iceland has, you know, and arguably at times not much because they beat us in the Euros a few years back. But, but uh, you know, in England, we have a, um, a blue-collar mentality, you know, just work at something, work at something, you know, don't be particularly creative, you know, you know, just pass, move, pass, move. You know, we don't, you know, get brought up dribbling like crazy and stuff. And and uh, and it's different in Brazil. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Culture, maybe. In what uh, way? I mean, it's a tough question. I mean, you got to go through history, but Brazil has always been being that kind of culturally, you know, more Latin style, like party and, you know, uh, celebrate things and be happy and, you know, and try to make things creative. And it's the opposite, I guess. I, If you ask me the reason why behind it, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Well, uh, I, I think... I can see the differences in culture. I think sure. Brazil is prejudiced, you know, but in a good way. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so, maybe. You know, Brazil is, is prejudiced... Uh, towards, you know, rhythm, music, dance, art, creativity, risk, beauty, you know, and and so, you know, the 1994 World Cup, you know, how was that viewed by Brazilian people? We hated the way the team played. We loved that we win, but still, it wasn't like, if you ask people that watched 82 and 94, uh, they would say, they would much rather the 82 team to win because they played much beautifully than the 94. Now you ask my dad, he's gonna say the opposite because a ton of players like Zico and Junior played for Flamengo and my dad hates Flamengo, so he was happy <laughs> when Italy beat Brazil because he didn't want Flamengo to win because he's the most biased person about soccer that I've ever <laughs> met in my life. The enemy of my enemy is my friend syndrome. <laughs> the good news is your dad doesn't listen to this podcast, so we're good. No, yeah. And, and he knows it's true because the funniest thing in the world, if you, you put the same, if you change the, the so Flamengo wears black, and, and red, Botafogo is white and black. So if you put the TV in black and white, he's happy. they kind of look the same. <laughs> so if you put the, the same clip, he's going to say that the guy, that if the Flamengo guy fouled the other guy, he's going to say that the guy needs to get uh, arrested, not even a red <laughs> card. If the Botafogo guy kills the guy, he's going to, yeah, but the guy, you know, he 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 was seeking for it or it's whatever, you know, <laughs> you know, and he ha and I laugh and I make fun of him, and he has no clue he's that biased. <laughs> he has no clue. <laughs> so, so let me ask you a question. You know, I'm saving this one up. Uh, you got 1994, right? Mm -hmm. Brazil wins the World Cup. Okay. And 
I'm actually going to take great pleasure in bringing this, you know, to the to the front of the issue here. Mm-hmm. You've got 2014. Okay. Brazil is playing against Germany, and okay. we all know what happened to Brazil in that game. Okay. All right. Would you have rather, or would Brazilian society have rather won ugly, like in 1994, or because Brazil was still trying to play beautiful even when they were six goals down in 2014. You know, they were trying. I'm not saying they succeeded. Correct. They but didn't they were have trying. the players to do it. Right, yeah. And, uh, and so would you rather have them playing beautifully and get their heads handed to them by Germany, or would you rather win the World Cup as in 1994? And yeah, I get the point you're trying to make, but I think on that situation, you're going way too far. See, you're a hypocrite then. <laughs> see, you're a hypocrite. See, I'm sorry. Because I don't agree that Brazil was playing beautiful or trying to play beautiful in, in that 7 1. I think for 20, okay, minutes, of 20 minutes of that game, we didn't play soccer. We. We, po- we pooped in our pants. Yeah, we melted, melted down. down. We didn't see. We we didn't see Neymar playing. We were. We Thiago Silva wasn't playing, and he was a captain. And we saw the. So German now we're going to make excuses. To really? <laughs> no, no, no. It's not an excuse. I'm saying what I think. What is it then? If it's not an excuse. Well, I think Brazil <laughs> would lose to Germany by four if maybe these other two were playing. But I'm saying like. These players in those mom- that moment, they shut down. So I don't... If Brazil was actually trying to play beautifully, there's no way they lose 7-1. If Brazil was actually playing beautifully. So that game, I get the point you're trying to make, but that game is, is, is too far. Uh, and I just wanted to stir up some c- <laughs> controversy. <laughs> some That's controversy. all that was. <laughs> you know, that, you know, and I love the way that Brazil sees the, the, you know, the game of soccer. Sure. I, you know, I love that they, above every other club in, in the country in the world, has put the creativity above winning games you know of course you know you want to have both right yeah mm-hmm. you know you want to have the you know the 1970 team you know that just played poet poet type soccer you know? now if brazil goes against germany and parks the bus and plays on a counter for example Braz- even if we won brazilians would absolutely lose their mind and rightly so yeah yeah i appreciate especially that. with so the history they, they would they would re- now to address that point, Brazil would probably rather pl- lose a game 3-0, 3-1, trying to win the right way than parking the bus and going on a counter. So, so I got something that I wanted to bring up, which is school prejudice and club prejudice towards a player that is not so good on the team. And I've had two daughters, two, two, uh, daughter and a son that have been victim of, uh, of a coach's prejudice. And I'm not blaming it on the coach because this is the way our society brings up coaches to coach. So this isn't a criticism for the coach. I don't think these coaches even thought the other way. You know? and, and, uh, but you know, one coach uh, brought my daughter on board and she used to play a few minutes token token minutes in the game because she was behind the other players and he only did it because we were friends, you know, and so, but it ended up in a few short months, she quit. She was destroyed psychologically because she knew that she was, you know, low woman on the totem pole, you know, and then, uh, you know, my, my son, Jake, he had a similar ex- experience in high school. He was a late maturer. And when he went to high school, he was on the ODP team, you know, one of the top 18 kids in the whole state of Kansas because he was very skillful, had great vision. But he was tiny and he, you know, relatively he was weak. And now he's, you know, he's, he, he looms over me, you know. And so, but because of a lack of maturity, Jake never made it onto the high school team and going into his senior year when he possibly would have made it, but in and out, you know, because of the, you know, maybe the coach's previous paradigms, 
you know, with regard to him. And then he still hadn't, you know, got his full maturity. You know, now he's, uh, you know, coming towards the end of his freshman year in college, he's grown three or four inches in the last year, you know. And, you know, it destroyed my daughter for a long time. But when she came back and played for me, you know, in no time at all, she made the ODP team just in a few months, you know, because we real rebuilt her confidence. So why should it be that, you know, especially in a societally funded environment yeah. like schools, you know, whether it's everybody's tax dollars that go into it, why should it be that coaches can, you know, not give that kid, you know, the playing time that that kid needs in order to stay involved, learn the lessons for life, because they want to win. How is it that we're letting that slide? What do you think? I mean, it's, it, culturally, I think that's where Americans have it really wrong. And maybe it would exist in other cultures as well, but they don't have the same <coughs> culture that props up school sports and school spirit, um, which has pros and cons to it uh, for sure. But uh, I mean, 100%, like, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, imagine a scenario where that same school says, sorry, you don't get the math book, son. You're not in the top 11. You'll have to wait until the top 11 math students are done <laughs> like i mean it just doesn't it doesn't make sense yeah unless unless we're gonna continue to purvey and push through this this perspective that 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 win at all costs is what matters and we need to teach our kids how to win at all costs which is what that communicates in my opinion right i agree and how much time do we have left a minute a minute okay is it time for us to end then you know with a with a statement let's do it okay so Without the right paintbrushes, canvas, and materials, you will never paint a masterpiece. Without the right light, subject, and background, artistic greatness will elude you. Without the right grit, creativity, and focus, you will give up before your goal is achieved. Without these essential tools, you will never conquer the highest peaks. Navigate the fiercest storms or vanquish the toughest foes. Prejudice has a history of destroying opportunity. When a coach's frame of reference is the wrong size or broken, it is impossible for that coach to optimize a player's potential. The curse of prejudice courses through the very veins of our society. On our own, each of us is powerless to change the world. But through soccer coach the legend's way, without prejudice, every one of us can empower many children to be braver, more creative, and ultimately a great leader for life. Well said. Very well said. Guys, another good episode. Andy, Philippe. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Until next time.